Let's turn to Second Peter, chapter three. This is the third of uh, four messages on Advent. We had two messages on Christmas. A really great service here last week as we looked at the Christmas passages. But I thought it was appropriate the first day of the new year that we would think about the measure of our time, of our life. And what the scriptures have to say to us about that. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is the word of God. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what the scoffers say. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's a bit of a scary passage, sobering passage. Let me pray briefly for this message, and let's consider what I have to say. It's kind of a stiff reminder, Lord, what life, that all this is that is around us, Lord, it's not, it's not going to be here forever, and that there will be an accounting. And as we look at this new year and all our times and days and hours and minutes, Lord, I pray we would uh, be attuned and set our attention on the truth, the truth of all the things that we tend to forget in the midst of all the scoffers, which tend to be sometimes us, Lord. Give us repentance to see what you are doing and to live on the plane of your eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start off like this. Did you guys know that, um, I actually looked it up. You know that uh, this is leap year, so you actually get an extra day this year? 
Do you know that? This is, uh, you get 366 days this year. There's a February 29th, okay? There's 366 days. That seems like a lot of days, right? I did the math. That comes out to 8,784 hours. And by the way, since it's already 1040 into the new year, you have 8,774 hours. Ten of those hours are already gone. Just like that. Some of you are sleeping away, and some of those hours are gone, okay? How about the minutes? There's almost a half million minutes in a year. You know that? 526,040 minutes out of 366 days. That's what you get. But a lot of those, you already got 500 of those minutes are already gone. You know that? More than, or at least 600 minutes of those gone. It's been more than 10 hours. Then 630 minutes of those are already gone. They're just, just ticked away. Boom. Okay? And if you're curious, just curious, I'm, 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 I like doing the numbers, so I'll give it to you too. 31 million... 622,400 seconds. Those seconds are all ticking away. It's going, going, going. Okay? Hmm. Now, have you guys seen the movie uh, Wizard of Oz? Who here has seen the movie Wizard of Oz? Come on, let's have a little audience participation here. Almost everybody, right? Now, there is this very scary point in the movie when Dorothy is trapped in the room in the castle of the Wicked Witch of the West. And what the Wicked Witch does is she takes this big hourglass and she tips this thing over and she says, basically, when this hour and all the pebbles of the sand, this hourglass drop to the bottom, you're dead. <laughs> right? And then Dorothy, you know, you, you, can, you can feel this. There's this suspense. And, you know, where all the, and you can see the, the camera that goes on and all the little pebbles tick. But you realize in a certain sense, there's a certain truth to that that we are living in a world like, which is like the castle of the Wicked Witch of the West, and your life, every little second, you seem like there's a lot of it, if your seconds are like pebbles, this year you have 31,622,400, and they're just pepping away, book, 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 and just ticking away. You ever think about this? Many of you guys in this room are young and healthy, and you're living in a very prosperous society, where things are, you know, where the laws work and you have a nice education and, you know, the, the, the economy isn't quite as good as we'd like it to be, but, you know, a lot better than lots of other places in the world. And so you're young and you're healthy and you don't often think about this thing that exactly I'm telling you, that you have, there's an hourglass and these little pebbles, the seconds are clicking away. You ever think about your mortality and the measure of your life. Now, I'm a little older than, than a number of you in this room. Not everybody in this room, but I'm older than a lot of you guys in this room. But I'm, so I've, I actually think about this mortality thing. And maybe it's just I'm just one of those weird guys, those little philosophical types that happens to you know, think about these existential problems. But I'm especially feeling this lately because I'm, I'm 40, just got you know. And um, if you live a very long time, you know, we, think, we think now, let's say, we'll just use 80. If you live 80, that'd be, I mean, nobody feels like your life was gypped, right? If you live till 80. You realize that my 8,784 hours, I only have 40 of those left. Okay? If I live till 80, and that's only if I live till 80. I'm, I'm already halfway, I'm, at, I'm already at halftime here. Okay? I'm already halftime, and there's only 40 
more of these 8,784. I mean, I can feel those, those pebbles clicking down, right? And uh, that, that hourglass is like, gosh, half those rocks are already at the bottom. It's like, wow, I can feel this. And, you know, if you've ever been ever really sick in your life, is, uh, before, uh, more than a decade ago, I got extremely ill, and I ended up in the hospital for several months, and I almost, almost didn't make it till 30, so I, 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 can, I really feel this. The last 11 years of my life, I can feel it, that it's a gift. It's a gift. Right? Now, what does this passage have to say? I'm using the first day of the year. I want you to just think about the measure of your life. And this passage has, I think, some important things to say to us about this. You know, I'm, I'm uh, getting you to think about all these things, and I'm, I'm giving you all the math and the numbers because I, I like the math, all right? Um, but what does this passage say? He says here, let's go to this, that in this time there will be scoffers. And this is what my picture, I don't know why, I think the word, when I hear the word scoff, I always think of the word scarf. And scarf is something that goes around your neck, and a scoffer does this to me. Huh, huh, you know, huh, right? And a scoffer just goes, huh. You know, you, you show him something important, and he just goes, uh, huh, and just, and that this is the way the, the Bible describes that there will be people in this time, and they will talk like this. There will be scoffers who scoff, right? And they'll shake their head back, and they say this. This is what they say. Where is the promise of Jesus coming, this God that you talk about? I don't see him coming. For ever since the fathers, that is all the people who went before us, fell asleep. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, is what people say. And what people feel is this. Churches get together and say there is a message. He who is God broke into this world and was a babe. We talked about that last week. But that he will return. And, and all of this, this world that we will live in will come to a close and there will be a new creation coming. And yet people today, they think, we only look at, the, we look at the way what we experienced today, what we saw yesterday. We read the history books and we think we knew what happened yesterday. That's what we say. And all the, the days that we have today and the days that we have tomorrow, she'll be just like the, the, they were the way before. You know, the, the key discourse of knowledge that we really respect in our society is not, of course, theological knowledge. The key discourse of knowledge that we respect in our time is science. And you know that science... I'm not saying that science is only full of scoffers, but this exact thing that this says, the way it was yesterday is the way it'll be today and tomorrow. That's actually exactly the way science is based. (laughs) Science says that we observe this thing, we measure this thing, and we can only extrapolate this. And so that when scientists, so-called, they think the only way to explain the way things were in the past is to only be able to look at the... The, 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 all the experiments and the experience that we've had today, they call it empiricism. Empiricism is just to say only the measure of what we've experienced. But that's exactly what we, that's the, this is the way we think. But what the scripture says is something actually far more penetrating and actually kind of frightening. What it says is that the world came about by a word. And it came out of water and it's going to a fire. Now I'm not going to get into a debate since science uh, scholars debate about whether how ancient people looked at did the world literally come out of water or so forth. That's not, you know, we can debate whether that, you know, like goes up against our Big Bang theory and so forth. That's, uh, that's not, I'm not going to get into that debate. But I think the key thing to hear from this passage is 
ancient people viewed waters. They look at the ocean, and they would know that if you go out into those ocean, those waters are dangerous. It cannot be controlled. And look at a, a gust, a storm could hit at any moment, and your boat would capsize and you would be dead. And everything that you built and, and you thought was meaningful in your life would be gone just like that. That the waters was a form of chaos. And so when they talked about out of the creation there was a waters, that what God did was there was, in a sense, kind of a chaos, and then God formed a meaning out of this, an order. And that's what time fundamentally is. You guys understand this? Time isn't just, you know, it's hard for us to imagine. And, you know, some of the, so the physicists and the astronomers, they say, well, time isn't really quite. It's, time is actually relative. You go to the speed of light, etc. You know, you, guys, you ever watch these movies and, you know, they go up into the spaceship and they come back and then it's like another time. And that's what the whole plan of the, of the apes movie. Then we tend to think that time is something that you're in, but it's actually not quite like that. Time is a measure of the meaning of life. It's clicking. And what God did was, out of the chaos of the waters, He gave us meaning. And that's what time is. It's a measure of this. And all of this, at one point, will go, and it says there will be a fire that will burn all this up. And what it's saying is, is this saying that there will be a literal fire that God's going to burn it up? Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't you know, profess to know that answer. But what I do know is, Theologically, what the, the, the picture of fire is a picture of judgment, is a testing. That we will burn everything up and let's see what remains. Let's see what has worth. And so what this passage is saying is there was a beginning and then out of chaos in which there was just nothing. It's meaningless. And then there will be a time when everything that we've been living in, all our times and all our seconds, it will be It'll be tested, it'll be burned, and we'll see what remains. We'll see what is worth. An accounting and judging. This is what history is. History isn't just, as one you know, scholar just said, one damn thing after another. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. It's not true. History is the accounting of the meaning of time. And we all know this. This passage says that the scoffers, they overlook a fact. This is a fact. So it's, and we wouldn't call this a fact, we're like, this seems just like a word, but no, it's a fact according to the scriptures. And we live this. I think people, we, you know, in our minds, we want to suppress this, this reality, this fact that the Bible talks about. But in our hearts, we know this to be true. That every single day, and all the, as the little pebbles drop in your hourglass, what you want is you don't want your life to just be dissipate into the chaos of nothingness. Your life has to be meaningful. There should be some love and some truth, and justice, and something worth living, and somebody cares about you, and you care about them, and you're doing something that actually is meaningful. And, and we, wake, we wake, and all our times, we hope, is this, right? But as we live each year, you know, at the end of the year, I hope, do you, do you take some measure of this? You stop. Any of you guys here, like, write, write a journal? Any journal writers in this room? One, we got one. Okay, they were zero in first service. Okay, I'm not a journal person myself. Okay, but the way I do it, usually about once a year or sometimes twice a year, what I do is I go through old emails because I'm a very avid email writer. Some of you guys probably just say, "I'll, I'll meet you at 
the restaurant, you know, or like the next meeting is 2 o'clock. So those aren't real letters. <laughs> they're just little notes, okay? They're, they're almost like texts. But I'm actually, a, I'm actually an avid letter. I actually write letters through email. And, and people tell me, you know, I keep in touch with people and I can see what's going on in their life. And just by reading it, I'm transported to remember what was going on in my life at that time. And at the end, I, I use that as a kind of journal to take a measure of all that I've seen and what the Lord has done throughout this. Do you do this, right? In your life. As we go into this next year, asking you, will you be like the scoffers? Just thinking it's just going to be like this, like this, like this. Or will you understand that really your life is part of a much grander, greater drama? And out of the chaos... There'll be an accounting. And between these two things, this is what heaven and hell represents in some sense. Hell isn't just the place where bad people are burned, and heaven is the place where, you know, like those people who are saved get to be happy. It's more than that. It's more than that. Heaven represents that meaning will go on. And that your life will, all that is good, will go forward. Your loves will last. Truth will reign. Beauty will be yours and you'll taste of goodness. And you know what hell also represents? Hell represents what all the chaos represents. Everything that you've built will just be dissipated into nothing. And this life that you're living in now is like a drama between these two things. There's a pull. It's like a tug of war. And it's happening. It's cutting across your heart. And the test of all the seconds is this. Is your life moving toward meaning that lasts forever or into the dissipation of chaos? And as we live in this life, most of us are conditioned not by heaven, not by the eternal, which will last, your meaning that will last for you. You're actually conditioned by this, the fear of the chaos, that everything that we're doing in life, to build our life, will just be dissipated into nothing. You could feel the scarcity of all the little pebbles dropping in your hourglass. Now let me share with you a passage that, that I think is worth thinking about. I'm going to quote out of this book because it's just it's a little more better. But this is, a, this is a quote from this book right here. Okay, I'm going to read out of this other <laughs> passages of Lewis. But this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. And, you know, Lewis is, he seems, now that he's died, he seems more famous than ever. You know, all his movies are coming out. Um, he's probably most famous for the Narnia books. And who here has read the Narnia books? Just curious. Wow, that's, that's pretty good, right? Um, you know, uh, it's, it's strange to me that in our post-Christian society that these movies are more popular than ever. They don't even know that, that, that the Narnia books were straight Christian propaganda for little children. That's what Lewis wrote them for. I mean, that's pretty much what it's like. I'm going to smuggle all this Jesus into this cool lion character, and that's what he wrote them for, right? But um, there's some other of his books that are famous, probably Mere Christianity, and maybe this book is called Screwtape Letters. Uh, some people love this book. Some people think it drives me nuts. But I'd like to quote you a passage out of the Screw Tape Letters. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Screw Tape Letters, the Screw Tape Letters is about one demon writing to another demon. Okay? And this demon is giving advice to this other demon about how to deal with what they call the patients. In other words, us, human beings. How to handle the patients and keep them away from what the demons call the enemy. That's God. Okay. So in, the, in, the, in this context, the patient's us. 
The enemy is God. And the subject is time. Okay? So here's what it says. Here's what the demon says. Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and as a result, ill-tempered. Hearing what he's saying there? The more claims you feel like you have in your life, the more likelihood you will feel injured and the more likelihood you will feel angry. Now you will have noticed that nothing throws your patient into a passion so easily as to find a tract of time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken from him. It is the unexpected visitor when he looked forward to a quiet evening, quiet evening, or the friend's talkative wife turning up when he looked forward to having a nice chat with this friend that throw your patient out of gear. Now, he is not yet so uncharitable or so lazy that these small demands on his courtesy are in themselves too much for him, for this patient. But they anger him because he regards his time as his own and feels that it is being stolen. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. That's what the demon has to guard in your mind. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax that portion of this property which he thinks he owns, which he has to give over to his employers, and as a generous donation, that further portion which he must allow for his Christian religious duties. But what he must never be permitted to doubt is that the total from which these deductions have been made was, in some mysterious sense, his own personal birthright. You can never let him doubt that his time is his own right. You have here a delicate task. The assumption which you want him to go on making is so absurd that if once it is questioned, even we cannot find a shred of argument in its defense. The man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. He might as well regard the sun and moon as his possessions. He is also, in theory, committed to total service to the enemy. And if the enemy appeared to him in bodily form and demanded that total service for even one day, he would certainly not refuse. He would be greatly relieved if in that day he didn't have to do anything more or harder than listen to the conversation of a foolish woman. And he would be so relieved almost to the pitch of disappointment if for one half hour the enemy would just say, okay, now, now, now go and amuse yourself. Now, if your patient thinks about this assumption for even a minute, even he is bound to realize that he is actually living in this situation every day. You hear what he's saying? 
There are scoffers or demons who are causing us to think, this time is mine. You know why I think we think that? Because you feel this. You feel the scarcity of the pebbles dropping in that hourglass. There's only so much time. Darn it, i got to give some of this to work. My idiot boss. And it's a drag, but like, I guess I, gotta, I should go to church too. Right? I have to give some of this time to church. And, and sometimes I have to like, listen to my kids or some stupid person that wants, that wants my help. I have to deal with this. These are all taxes of my time. It's my time. But you feel this because there's only so many pebbles, you you get upset. You feel this thing. But you know, this whole way of looking at time, that's not the Bible's way of looking at time at all. Let me show you this passage. Verse 8. Beloved, do not overlook this one fact. He likes facts. This is Peter. I guess Peter likes facts, right? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but his patience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Look. This is how the, the Bible talks about it. You know, when we feel this, this ebbing of all these little seconds, and by the way, you know, seconds, hours, and days, you know what? I mean, days are, are God-made, but hours are man-made. You know that? <laughs> this is the way we divvy it up, seconds. Seconds are, and, and, and hours, and months, and stuff. these are all man-made concoctions. This is not the way the Lord looks at it. For those of us, if you believe in Jesus, and you believe what the Scriptures tell you, that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. And Jesus is that path. He's saying that the Lord, for the Lord, it is not one day. One day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. What's he saying? There's no hourglass. That for you, that your life is before God. And God's presence is before you. And that heaven is like this. It's pulling into you. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, you feel that, why do you feel that life is meaningful now? Because there's an earth, there's the heavens, and then there's time, and, and you get to do stuff, and, and you get to enjoy, you get to eat, you get to laugh, you get to talk, you can think about truth and beauty, and you, you have life, it's like, it makes life good, right? But what he's saying to you is that when you are before the Lord, there isn't just one day and another day and then you're dead. One day is a thousand years, there's an eternity, There is no hourglass. There is no pebbles clicking down with God. And when you're with God, that's how it is with you. And the way the Lord came into this thing, there is a good news that He who is God, who has a thousand years as one day, and one day is a thousand years, He broke into this life, and He destroyed the scarcity of the hourglass by dying to it, to dying in all the ways that we are so selfish in the way where we, we think it's all ours and all our hourglass. He destroyed this hourglass on the cross and he let all that die with him. And so then a new life could break in. That's what the resurrection is. It's not just that he would conquer death, but it's that this new life, that the new heavens and the new earth would break into the world. That's what Jesus is. 
And if you would walk with Jesus, you know what's happening? Jesus himself is the very means of eternity, of heaven breaking into your life. And only when you can begin to see this, you don't feel like, oh, I only got 40 years left, 8,700 and something times 40, and that's all I've got left. You know why we're so impatient? You know, we, we, we are incredibly busy people here in this Silicon Valley. Why? Because we feel there's only 24 hours, and you've got to sleep some of that time, and there's so many things to do, there's so much work to get done, there's TV shows to watch, and internet sites to surf, and music to listen to, and restaurants to visit, and people to hang out with, and jokes to hear, and all these kinds of things. And what we're all trying to do is jam this all into the day, and there just isn't enough time, right? You can feel this thing. But, and we're very selfish about this, because we can feel the scarcity, because we're conditioned by this. But only if you can let the gospel come into this, you can let Jesus be the one saying, he says, the hourglass is gone. <laughs> He's wrecked it. He says, I'm, I'm the only one left. There's no hourglass. And just think about this for a moment. One day there will be a city. There'll be no slums. There'll be no crime. There won't even be pride. <laughs> it's just incredible to think, right? And it will be beautiful and glorious. There's, you go like, I'm going to listen to this song. And you're like, wait a second, I'm so busy, I've got to listen to the next song, and the next song, and the next song. Or, and then I've got to watch the next TV show, and I've got to hear the next story, and read the next book. You know, you don't actually have to feel that. You know why? Because you have forever to hear every song, and, every, and to read every book, and to hear every story, and to laugh, so many more laughs, endless laughter. And you're like, oh, I only have this much amount of time to hang with this friend. If this other person interrupts, then this person is butting in. And I'm so, it's so annoying, right? Because you just want to hang out with just this friend. And, you know, this past week, uh, our dear friends, Young and Christy, you know, he's, Pastor Young, who used to be, who used to serve in the church, they were in town. And we just felt that our time with them was just so short because they're such dear friends of me and Grace. But we felt that time was just so short. But just imagine the truth of this. If you are saved, the real truth is, is not that you're just going to die and then that's it, but that your life is just going to stretch out into the forever with the Lord, where one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And there's no end. There's no scarcity. There's no pebbles dropping down, and that's all there's left if you walk with Jesus. Now look, I've got a new year up ahead, 366 days, and I gave you all the, the hours and the minutes and all that stuff too. This year, let me just ask you, just one, just ask you a few things, just to, as implications of this passage. Number one, just slow down a little bit, please. Just relax a little. Number two, you know, we, we like to say it, it's like it's almost a dead metaphor. Smell the roses. <laughs> Smell the roses, listen to the songs, just look at your kids, see the dumb things that they do, and laugh, okay? And just laugh. Hang out with your friends, and don't be in a hurry to do the next thing, just be glad you got a friend, and they're in your life. Just slow down a little bit. And two, 
Bad things are going to happen. Hardships will happen. You know what? If you only have 80 years and then you have to spend a week of that being sick, man, that stinks, doesn't it? Gosh, that'd be terrible. But what if you have forever? You literally have forever. And there'll be no more sickness or crime. And if you're sick today, it's just a momentary passing deal. It's like, I'm sick. This person is talking and this person is an idiot. Oh. But you know what? It's okay. It'll, this this conversation is going to pass. Right? It'll be goodness forever flowing into you to the resurrection. This is the truth. This is the truth of the gospel. You just forget it. You just need to believe it. And if you believe it and let this be in you, you'll have a really great year. Every day will be good. Right? You might have to get, get bent out of shape every now and then. Every day will be good and the demon will be flicked off. And Jesus will be there, bringing heaven, breaking in. Every day will be good. If your economy's, the economy's bad, you're not making as much money, you know what? It'll all pass. Right? Every day will be good. This is how rich you are. You are truly that rich. You're looking at your neighbor. He's richer than you. He's happier than you. And you're so unhappy. You know what? It'll all pass. And Jesus is walking with you. And you'll break in. If you can actually face your life this way, you'll have a really great year. Okay. Now we're going to go to the table of the Lord. You need to hear this message. You need to remember this message. You need to eat this message. You need to eat this truth and actually literally, literally let it go into you so that heaven can penetrate into you. The resurrection the resurrection will just kill that hourglass in you and all its scarcity and all its selfishness. So you actually can relax and take it easy. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy, but I'm talking about life. Letting life really taste and eat life because of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's go to the table of the Lord. A busy people. We don't know how to stop and listen to music because we only listen to the noise of the urgency in our minds. A selfish people, ever so mindful of the ticking of every little second, every little pebble dropping into the, the bottom well of that hourglass, Lord God. But if we would learn, if we could just walk with you, you would know the God who a thousand years is a day. And all the little gray and the little flab and little, getting a little bit more tired. But all these things inside of us, you're renewing us with a new heaven and new earth breaking into us, Lord God. I pray that, especially for my brothers and sisters who had a very hard 2011, and especially for my brothers and sisters, Lord you know, who are just so weary and running a rat race, I pray there would be a great year of heavenly rest in 2012. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who doesn't know you, Jesus, may they turn to you and say, I want that. I want the eternal life coming into me. I pray they would turn to you. 
As we go to your table now, Lord, may we eat eternal life, the food of rest, the food of goodness forever and ever, no scarcity, all the time, forever, to enjoy all your goodness. And it only gets better and better. I pray all this in Jesus' name.